Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the creators of Gavis Waiting for Godot and Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's Happy Hour. She leaned across to me and she said, "One day, you know, you'll be doing that." Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. And <laughs> <laughs> as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello. I'm Peter Ayers, and welcome to Stages, and the first of a double episode with comedy doyenne Nolene Brown. Nolene Brown is a national treasure. She has appeared in numerous films, television shows, radio programs and theatre triumphs dating back to 1959. She gained local notoriety in Sydney as a cast member of the famous Philip Street Reviews and the popular melodrama productions at the legendary Music Hall Theatre Restaurant in the early 1960s. Nolene came to national prominence after joining the cast of the pioneering Australian satirical TV sketch comedy series The Mavis Bramston Show, and she was much adored as Possum in the pioneering sitcom My Name's Magooly, What's Yours? Throughout the 1970s, Nolene enjoyed great popularity in Australia as a co-star of the satirical television and radio series The Naked Vicar Show and the quiz show Graham Kennedy's Blankety Blanks. Possessed of a razor wit, an infectiously droll delivery and infinite charm, she was everyone's favourite panellist and sketch performer. Her artistry as an actor was evident with Nolene giving celebrated turns in productions of Applause, Cowardy Custard, Don's Party, Emerald City, Wallflowering and joyous romps with her comedy partner in crime, Barry Creighton, in glorious duets, Valentine's Day, Later Than Spring and the much-lauded Tour de Force double act, written by Creighton for them both. And in 2020, Nolene Brown was honoured with a stamp in the Australia Post Legends of Comedy issue, a recognition that would guarantee your value as a national treasure, I would think. Nolene is returning to the stage in 2022. We discussed what's ahead for her and reflect on a stellar career. It is my pleasure, my absolute pleasure, to welcome to stages Nolene Brown. What do you mean you've got a weird voice? Well, it's sort of down here, not up here or... There, it's sort of there. Right. Baritone rather than well, yeah, bass baritone. It, yeah, perhaps so. That'll, that'll do. <laughs> Control to. <laughs> Hello, Smiley. Hello, Smiley. Do you know that that's what my name was when I was a kid? The neighbours used to say, Hello, Smiley. Isn't that lovely? I, I think it's a, it's a great nickname. In fact, uh, I had it frequently myself as a child. Oh, isn't that gorgeous? Yes. What happened? Well, you get older, don't you? You have to pay bills. It's absolutely true. And that smile disappears. Maybe it could be Botoxed into position. (laughs) So you obviously, um, as a kid, you just embraced everything with that that, that big smile. I was a very happy kid. I was 
brought up in a very happy household, had two brothers, one older, one younger, and we were very happy. You know, we used to punch on, of course, but as most of the do. As, yes, you yeah. do. But most of the time, we were very, very happy kids, and we lived in. Uh, a very mm, blue-collar sort of area where people looked after each other. And we didn't know we were poor, you know, because everyone was. And it was just a lovely place to live. Stanmore, I believe. Stanmore, which is now quite posh. Isn't it? (laughs) But in those days it wasn't. And uh, I remember up the lane there was... uh, um, and off, what do they call them, the bookies, when they're illegal bookies? Yeah, there used to be a SP bookie? No, no. SP bookie, yeah, that's it. it. Right. SP bookie up the lane. I'm not and sure what the SP stands for. But... Starting price. Right. And then there was a, um, a cockatoo. Now, not a real cockatoo. No, but, but that's a, a lookout, isn't who it? Who looked out for the cops, yes. And there was a woman who had ducks and another woman who had chickens. And it was fabulous. So, Smiley. Yes, what makes you smile now, today? Not a lot at the no, moment, no, <laughs> because, you know, we've got COVID and we've been uh, disappointed with Christmas every couple of years. We've had friends who can't see us, uh, so the smile has sort of disappeared a bit. But I've still got a sense of humour and I think that keeps me going and keeps me optimistic. I am optimistic, so that's probably... The smile will return... And I hope so. I've spent enough money on these teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but you're possessed of a wonderful skill which helps everyone else smile. You are a funny lady, Nolene Brown. Well, I think that that's probably true. But I don't really intend to be funny, if you know what I mean. If I meant playing a character like Florence Foster Jenkins, mm. I want to be funny. But I can't make her funny, if you know what I mean. It's got to be truthful uh, I have to believe that I'm Florence Foster Jenkins and when I sing, I sing so beautifully that the world swoons, you know. Um, and that's funny. But if I go on and mug something, that's not funny. No. But I do remember when I was a little kid um, asking for tomato sauce on custard at the dinner table where there were other people present. And they all laughed like drains. And I was furious. I thought, why are they laughing at me? And, you know, little did I know that years later I would beg for people to do just that. <laughs> you, um, you must enjoy delivering a laugh to people. Oh, God. Laughter's the best tonic, It's isn't it? wonderful. And when you're in a theatre where there are a lot of people present... And the, they all laugh at the same time. It's like an ocean wave going over you. It's fabulous, a wonderful feeling. But it's also, um, I, I believe that it's a very creative thing to get that laugh. And it's easier to get people to cry than it is to get them to laugh because you can just stuff up a line or take a breath in the wrong place or somebody can move at the wrong time and the laugh's gone. So there's quite a science to it. Yeah, yeah, there's a very technical equation, isn't there? Yes, very much so. Do you think people can be taught to be funny or is it an innate ability? I do not think you can be taught to be funny. I think you can be taught to do comedy, but I don't think... I think people are born with a funny bone. And, uh, you know, I, I think I do have it because sometimes I don't know that I'm funny, if you know what I mean. Yeah. People laugh and I go, mm, I didn't really mean that to be funny, but I, I'll take that laugh. Thank you very much.
<laughs> well, you've, you've embraced uh, many different forms of comedy, whether that be review or satire, farce, yes. dark comedy of manners. Do you, yep. do you have a favourite form of, of comedy that you like to, to uh, play? I like uh, to be in a, an intimate comedy. I've done so many with Barry Creighton that I have to say that I love that uh, connection you have with another person. Uh, so I like a two-hander for comedy rather than a great big cast. Um, I don't know why I like that. I think it's it's very powerful feeling with just two of you uh, depending on each other. And I can remember when Barry and I did his play Double Act uh, for the first time... Uh, we would do a, the show that I loved doing most was an eleven o'clock matinee. Now everybody hates them, but we'd be at the ensemble waiting for the music to start, and it was like going into battle, and it was a fabulous feeling of power uh, that these people were in your palms, and you could make them laugh, and they and because you were so close to them at the ensemble you can see how much effect you had on them so I love that well it's been a long time not long enough oh wait a minute you can't just I mean what is it five years must be five years you know you haven't changed a bit George you remember my name I'm hungry I'd like to finish my dinner well surely a couple of pleasantries won't ruin your appetite you overestimate my intestinal fortitude you underestimate my pleasantries okay one pleasantry and then I'm going back to my table been for a pee, have you? <laughs> Come on, you haven't lost your sense of humour, have you? I haven't lost mine. You can't lose what you never had. <laughs> Divorce made a bitter woman of you, Alex. Divorce was too good for you. I should have castrated you. You did, my dear, often. <laughs> May I go now? My husband oh, will I be... Oh, I heard you'd married again. What is it, three weeks ago? Four. Well, I'm sure it seems like three time flies when you're having fun. Goodbye. <laughs> I hear he's a lot younger than you are. He's a little younger. Yeah, I'd love to get a look at him. You probably did. He's in the gents. <laughs> so Barry wrote that play for he the did. both of you, didn't Yes, he? he did, while he was laid up with a broken leg, or a couple of... I think it was only one broken leg, but seriously broken leg, in hospital. So he had plenty of time. So he wrote the play and rang me and said, would I like to be in it? And I thought, oh, been a while since we'd worked together and I wasn't sure about it. Uh, till we started rehearsing and they thought, oh, this is going to be good. Because we, we tried it out uh, on Harry Miller, uh, in Harry Miller's um, apartment. And Harry, being a bit deaf, Barry had said to me, keep it small, keep it small before we go in. Because uh, he does direct as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I kept it small, but I don't think Harry could hear us. So he said, too many words. And then it was a huge success for the yes, ensemble. Yes, it was, and it keeps going. And, of course, it's been done in 20-odd languages and it keeps... I think it still keeps him in money, which mm. is fabulous. But having, having worked with Barry for such a long time, you have a shorthand between the two of you, I guess, and yes. he's aware of your strengths and yes, skills very and all much, that sort of thing. Yes, very so, much so. So it's no wonder that this, the sparks are, are magic. When, yeah, and when all you, you have to do is raise an eyebrow to, on stage and... You pick up on there's something happening here. Yeah. yeah. I imagine you also had that shorthand with Graham Kennedy on, on Blankety Blanks. Oh, I loved working with him on that to show. To that, yeah. that uh, terrific wit that the both of you had, that sharp razor, well, razor sharp. 
it's funny because if you if he didn't like you on that show, you'd never be invited back. And I think there were cards that could be burnt and say no, never again. So I was very flattered that Graham really liked working with me, and he did. Uh, and I could tell he was another one. He'd come up with the sparkle in his eye, and I'd, I'd know that he had something for me. And uh, we could make each other laugh. Was that was Blankety Blanks rehearsed? Very much beforehand, no, it was very no, much spontaneous. No, 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 all we do is wear a, a few changes of shirts and uh, you didn't even have to wear anything on the bottom. But Graham you would rehearse. He would never do anything without a rehearsal. Even though he was the king of ad lib, uh, he had to have a script behind him and he really revered script writers, so trusted them, yeah. A great master of comedy, uh, still Miss Today. Oh, never! Okay. nobody like him in television. Now, I think you, you probably would have been able to say that about stage work as well, mm. if he'd kept to it, because he started as a young person doing No Coward, and that's what he wanted to do in life, and he wanted to be in musicals. Yeah. And I'm sure if he had done that for the rest of his life, he would have been still alive. But, of course, he did that 13 and a half years of five nights a week uh, television where he was it. And I think it just... Uh, I remember one, one day saying, I think you run out of guts. And he said, you certainly do, because that had happened to him. He wasn't game enough to do the eight performances a week on stage. Yeah, yeah. terrific burnout, I guess, too, after... That. After all that television, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely right. A, a mighty fine film actor as well. You oh, know, we he was so good in those Williamsons, uh, the club, brilliant. Travelling North, yep. Um, Don's party, yep, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And uh, thoughtful characters, easy. You know, he did spend a lot of time on whatever he did, carefully dissecting it and thinking how he could approach it. He wasn't just, oh, turn up for the day and do my funny bit at all. He was a very serious and fine actor. Mm. Nolene, who are your comic heroes? Oh, gee, that's hard. It's really hard. Um, I wouldn't say... I mean, Lucille Ball we all adored, and we all wanted to be Lucille Ball. And I'm very glad that... um, Kidman's Nicole Lucy Kidman. Ball. It'll be yeah, interesting how gorgeous. Work, yeah. And everybody said she'd never be able to do it. I knew she would. And the reviews have been good so far. So I'm very happy for her because I think she gets a bad rap sometimes just because she's thin, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, what about Elaine May? And- oh, I loved Elaine May yeah. and, yeah, and Mike Nichols and Barry Creighton and I tried to be... Um, Nichols and May, uh, I love their humour, their um, off-the-cuff humour. Now I'm sure their off-the-cuff was rehearsed, but Barry and I used to go into EMI, I think it was, and record uh, after we'd finished at the Music Hall or various other places, and uh, we would just sit down with a microphone and make it up. And then we'd think, oh, that worked, so we'd go back over it and put it together, Barry put it together, and we were quite popular. 
And you uh, outsold the Beatles, I think. Outsold the Beatles, can Isn't you believe it? I don't know for how long. <laughs> Barry's very, very happy about that. Um, the uh, front and back flip side of Barry Creighton and Nolan Brown and the not-so-wet and dry side of Barry Creighton and Nolan Brown. Two yeah. albums, two LPs. Two albums, that's right. Well, we haven't done any since. Well, although I did some for the Naked Vicar. Right. Naked Vicar show, we did some LPs as well, which were fun. That were probably... Uh, the first comedy records in Australia, would that be? I think they were, and I'm sure uh, that would be easy to find out from Barry Creighton mm. because he's re- researched all of that stuff, and I think they were. Uh, there might have been some, um, or maybe Stiffy and Moe and those sort of things might have uh, been on record before, but I can't remember anything like that. Good afternoon, sir. Can I help you? Oh, uh, this is Vogue menswear, isn't it? Yes. But you're, uh, I mean, well, isn't there a male shop assistant here? Oh, no, I'm sorry, they're all out to lunch. I'm all that's here. Oh, I see. Well, uh, actually, I wanted a pair of trousers, but I oh, think yes. I'd better come back. Oh, no, 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 the trousers are here. Can I help you? What do you want? What size are you? Well, I'm take four and a half. Yes, you would. Well, uh... Here's a pair of four and a half. Yes, I think they should be probably just a bit short. We'll have to alter them a bit at the waist and the cuff. Yes. Now, would you like to step into the dressing room? Well, uh, I really think I could come back, you know. Oh, no, don't worry about it. I do it all the time. (laughs) Well, here we are. Now then, I'll just, if you'd remove... My jacket, yes, yes, I'll, yes. I'll. Thank you very much. Now I'll just measure My your... arm's caught, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let so me stupid. help you. Yes, thank now, you. Now, your waist. I'll just slip the tape measure round and see. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you are ticklish, aren't you, sir? <laughs> yes, I see. Yes. yes, you wear your trousers quite low, don't you? Oh, yeah. yes, yes, I do. I think we'll measure <laughs> your outside leg. Yes. Yes. Yes, they are very long, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, I'm sure they'll have to be altered. I see. Now, your calf. Yes. My <sighs> word. <laughs> now, uh, could I measure your inside leg? Oh, well, I, I, I'll hold the tape measure. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we are. My word. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, do, do you do this all the time? I mean, have you always worked in a men's wear store? Oh, no, no, no. Before this, I was in a dress shop. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't catch that. Uh, what? Dress? To the left. Yes, well... There we are. I think you're just about done. Uh, Thank well, you. I can put my jacket on. Yes, yes, you can. But I think if you want these to fit perfectly, I suggest you come back for another fitting. Oh, really? When? Oh, in about five minutes. Did you write any material in your career? Did we, you were a writer or uh, really just deliver the gags? Just deliver the gags, which is... You know, I'm always surprised when people say that include me with stand-up because I've never done stand-up. I'd love to, I'd love to. Now, just get up on stage and insult everyone. How good is that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm a bit too shy to do that, I think. But uh, I'll be getting a chance to do that soon in mono um, because it's a bunch of mo- monologues where you're the only person on stage with an audience. So if something goes wrong... I can have a witty comeback. So that'll be a bit like stand-up. Yeah, yeah. Mono, very exciting. That's touring the regions in 2022. I think you go to Victoria. We start in February, yeah. 
Queensland yeah, and Tassie yeah. too. Gold Coast, Tassie, yeah, fantastic. The Royal, can't wait to go back. You're going to be like a paid tourist. I've done it before <laughs> and I love it. I've toured with uh, Doug's group in a play called Wallflowering, an Australian play. And uh, we did it without an interval, which is another good thing because uh, we'd say to the people who ran the theatre, if you cut out the interval... We'll meet everyone after the show and have a drink with them and, and chat to them. It was fabulous because you get the show over, have a drink, and then you're in good form to do a bit of tourism the next day. Now, we had a great time. And, and on the regional tours, yeah. is there generally a reception in, in each town? There, for yeah, you? There, there is usually. Yeah. And in the old days, I remember touring with Don's party. And, uh, of course, that's a much larger cast and... The Country Women's Association would probably do the catering. So there was a lot of chocolate cake and finger sponges. food. And as we had all had to eat, yes, sponges, as we'd all had to eat pizza on stage, nobody was very keen on eating all that stuff. But now there's usually a bit of alcohol. What would you like? A glass of champagne? Yes. Or a beer? That'd be really nice. So... It's really fun to meet people who haven't seen much theatre. And some of the uh, places that I've been, 84 towns and cities around Australia, some of those places had never seen real actors up on stage before. And it was wonderful to see how it changed them. And they'd come backstage and they, they were in awe of you. I remember one guy just staying there and saying, something different... And then there's a pause and something different again. I thought that was just so charming. And that would have been in some country town, like um, or in the middle of nowhere, where there would have been in, in the local hall or the school baseball or basketball, rather, court. And wonderful experience, especially seeing people whose faces they recognise mm. for the first time, you know, mm. going into their little town. The big thing. Julia Creek and places like that. Yeah. Mm. Beyond the black stump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to Stanmore and growing yes. up, what's, um, what, do you remember your first encounter with an actor, either seeing them on, on telly or film or stage well, it was long or, or before, a realisation? Long before television. Yes, right. I do remember mm. the first time. Grace Brothers on Broadway, department store, used to have a, an area where they'd have concerts for children. Now, my memory of it was that they were often on a Saturday, but I could be wrong. They might have been like for Christmas or Easter or something. school holidays. But I remember we must have sat on the floor because the stage was quite high and a man came out um, wearing... Um, two saucepan lids on his breasts and he did this what a comical a comic dance across the stage and every time he did something he would bang those saucepan lids together now that was the first time I had ever seen a performer on stage I thought that was wonderful oh imagine being able to be up there and doing something like that but it was I didn't want to be the man with the saucepan lid. I always wanted to be entertained by him. But I liked the power of it. I thought, wow, we're all laughing at what that man's doing. But I would say the first real uh, memory of a proper, proper production 
was a Shakespearean production at, in the city, it might have been at the palace, a theatre that is no longer there, but it was a wonderful um, Victorian palace and we were right up the back and it was quite scary looking down to, to the stage. But, oh, wow, that I was about 12 and I was just, uh, that's all I wanted to do. And uh, from that time on, I would get into my Shakespeare plays and uh, rehearse with a friend of mine, Carol Kitching. And we'd go into my bedroom and we'd read Shakespeare. And in our lunch times, rush back from school, and then after school, we'd do it again. And my little brother, who was five years younger than I was, used to listen at the door and say, there's magic happening in there. <laughs> <laughs> there was indeed. Now, um, your dad, Leo, mm-hmm. worked for a travelling post office. The travelling post office. What did that entail? It, in, it entailed travelling on a train and sticking letters into uh, pigeonholes and sacking them up and putting them into uh, bags that would then go into the various country towns they passed. This was a time, of course, because before there were mail centres in those country towns or close by. Uh, that must have been the reason, mm-hmm. yes, that it all go from the GPO into... The country towns. So he went all around country New South Wales. So we were, he was never home. Uh, but when he was, he was a force to be reckoned with. He was a hilarious man. Uh, I believe that during the war, um, when he was away, he warned you all that if the Japanese invaded Australia, to cough a lot. He did, because, because they were frightened of tuberculosis. Yeah. And Dad, that was definitely... Uh, and he's told my mother not to look attractive. <laughs> <laughs> But the the terrible thing is, uh, because because of that warning, my mum was actually developing tuberculosis at that time and she had tuberculosis um, and she recovered from it uh, with operations and so on. But she was out of our lives for quite a while and Dad looked after her and gave up his job and cared for her and us. And he never made me be... The, the mother of the house. He did all the cooking and all of it, which is funny because I love cooking, yeah. but he didn't. He wanted me to have a, a childhood, a normal childhood. Well, with the pandemic today, that yeah. must resonate a bit to that Very childhood so. time with Very tuberculosis. Much so. yeah. yeah, and not only that, when I was a little kid, I got scarlet fever. I was about five and uh, it was very bad and I had to go to hospital uh, and nobody was allowed to visit because it was the Infectious Diseases mm. Hospital mm. and it was um, at Botany, somewhere like that. It's now turned into a wonderful facility. But I, I went to that facility recently as the ambassador for ageing and I walked into the room and went, oh, oh, I've been here before, this is really weird. And that was the hospital where I had been as a five-year-old child. How long were you in there? Without, months. Without visitors, one. Mm, a couple of months, yes, and uh, wasn't allowed to keep anything. Mum brought me, uh, they had to be brought in through the window, which just, you'd have a look at your mother and father at the window. It was tragic, really. Anyway, they brought me books to draw in and um, wonderful coloured pencils and paints and things and I said oh I can't have them because they'll burn them 
So because of infectious, infectious disease. That's yeah, right. right. So uh, I, I, you know, I, was, I wanted them so much. I wanted to have them when I got out. But uh, look, it wasn't that bad. But it was, I'd cry like mad, of course, when they, when they left. But five minutes later, I was playing with the other kids. And uh, it, wasn't too, it wasn't too bad. But I can still taste the breakfast they used to bring. There was white bread, bleh, with alleged butter on it. I don't know what that was. And terrible powdered scrambled eggs. It was disgusting. Yeah. So that's the only meal I can remember. I'm a bit of a foodie, but I do remember the kid next to me. The next bed had some very nice lollies, so I made a friend of hers. <laughs> I go over for her lollies. Uh, did your folks have a sense of humour? Yes. Mum was... Um, she was a very ladylike woman. Dad was uh, the opposite. <laughs> he was... Uh, he wasn't. Um, he didn't swear or anything like that. But he was just a, a funny bloke who would. We oh, did swear occasionally because I remember Barry Creighton came to our house for dinner, and Barry had a voracious appetite. And so he would have seconds of everything, probably thirds. And uh, I said, "What did you think of Barry?" He said, "Oh, that Barry did the arse off a corpse." <laughs> But he was really funny about people, you know, just summed them up in a few words. He was like a cartoonist. He could draw a very quick picture of somebody. And uh, all of our neighbours, and that neighbour would be Mrs Straight Legs, and that one would be called something else. And uh, they just stuck with us kids. Uh, we'd go, oh, that's, that's Mrs Straight Legs. <laughs> <laughs> Secondary school... Yep. Was there a, an opportunity for a dramatic outlet there? Was there a drama oh, club or school productions? Or? I went to Fort Street from Stanmore and they had uh, drama available only for the final two years at school. So going off into first year high school, you were just taught by rote. It was horrible. Um, there was no opportunity for fun at all, except in the art class. Look, I loved art and English. Just give me those and I'll be happy forever. And I can remember saying, but why do I have to learn maths? And somebody said, well, you know, to, you've got to do your accounts and everything. I said, no, I'm going to get an accountant. And I thought that was a, a reasonable thing to say, not cheeky at all. But I didn't care for maths particularly, but I was okay at keeping myself alive. But uh, geometry and stuff like that. Well, I've, Nobody... just, I've just survived another day without using algebra. So Look, if only, <laughs> if only somebody said, this is what you use it for. Yeah. The practical applications yeah. make sense to me. We use it every day. Mm. But nobody does that. They just tell you about the hypotenuse triangle. <laughs> and French, as for French, I've been learning French for 40 years at least. <laughs> no good at it, but our French teacher, Miss Kent Hughes, Miss Kent Hughes used to spit all over us. And uh, if you were in the front row, you really copped it. So one day I went to school, went to that class wearing a shower cap. Well, uh, that's the first time I went into the hall. Um, and so I spent most of my secondary schooling in the hall for 
naughty things. Were you the class clown? I must have been to yeah. do that, I yeah, think. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. A gutsy thing to do, but a very funny thing to do. Well, I didn't think she'd get it. That's how little I respected Miss Gettyus. I thought, oh, she won't notice. Who's that girl with the shower cap? Mm, why, why, haven't you realised you're not in the shower or something? She, you know, anyway, straight to the headmistress. And in, in those days, of course, all the good ones had gone off to the war. Of course, we mm, just must be about 1950, 1950, I suppose. So the war's only been over for a few years. So they were all, uh, most of them, ancient Victorian ladies with bloomers. Because I remember at high school, the uh, headmistress was telling us that the king was dead. So whenever the king died, and uh, it was, she was in tears, and she was, it was outside, and the wind blew her skirt up, and you could see her Bombay bloomers, which were down to her knees, well, I corpsed. <laughs> in trouble again, because the king is dead and you're laughing. But you go on to Stanmore uh, Home Science School and you yep. end up school captain. Well, I, I said, oh, at, my, at Fort Street, they said, uh, we'd like you to repeat the year. I said, oh, no, I'm not repeating that year. I hated that year. I'm going somewhere else. So I did. I went back to Stanmore to the, it was a home science school, but I didn't have to do any home science, except for sewing. I had to sew Bombay bloomers. <laughs> they gave us um, uh, some material and said, sew that, and that's the pattern, and they were Bombay bloomers. I don't know what they were to be worn for. I never finished my Bombay bloomers or a jumper that I started that same year. It might still be somewhere, somewhere gathering moths, yeah. But I, was, I wasn't very good at those home science-y things. But at least we were, I had a very good English teacher and I was able to enjoy myself doing that. must have been a bit of art, but no theatre. We didn't do any theatre, which was... You had to go out to see the theatre. You weren't allowed to do it at school. You weren't allowed to have fun, really. Right. Were you musical? Did you learn an instrument? I'm still not musical. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the worst thing in the world is for me to have to be in a musical. And I have been. Applause. I did applause. Absolutely. A great role that was created by Lauren Bacall. It's not the greatest musical, of Mm. course, Mm. but uh, it was every uh, actress in Sydney was dying to be in that show. And I was put up for it. So I was driving my little mini moke, which I had in those days, and I, I was so anxious. I've never been more anxious about anything. And I thought, I really don't want to do I cannot do this. It's impossible. I can't sing. I can't dance. And I was getting absolutely hysterical. And I arrived at the theatre and everybody else is glamorously dressed. And I've got a pair of jeans and a T-shirt on. And uh, I got into my audition and I said, look, you're talking to the wrong person here. I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't do this. They, they said, but you have sung at the music hall. I said, yes, but that's not the same thing as working with an orchestra and so on. I'd be too scared to do it. And I said, I've been trying to have an accident on the way here, <laughs> so I wouldn't have to do this audition. Anyway, it was. I talked myself into it by my, uh, obviously, 
reluctance to be in it, but uh, they gave me the opportunity. So I worked really hard on that show. I worked with um, the musical director for, it seems to me, months before, and it was certainly many weeks before, and I worked with a, an opera singer, teacher, uh, and he said I had a lyric voice. I thought, oh my God, I can sing. Anyway, um, with their help, I was able to manage to do the show. Did you have fun at the end of it? I had fun well, by the end all of it. during it, yeah, all great, during great, it, yeah. Great. yeah. And I was able to pick my leading man, which was really nice. Um, they said, you know, you've got these choices. And I said, what about Alan Dale? Because I'd just worked with him in um, oh, a telethon or something like that. And he's such a handsome... Mm well-built tall it wasn't that I fancied him no, no. but I just thought he would he looked be like perfect. a leading man he did look yeah. like a leading man and I knew he was musical so uh, I said what about him and we did uh, you know he was a very believable leading man as one of the reviewers said even though he sort of crooned his way through the show but I guess I acted the songs and I think that's the clue really to any singing not just singing the notes, it's acting them. Now, your mum wanted you to play the piano, I, I, I gather. My mother wanted me to do everything that probably she, she'd never had an opportunity to do. And she knew I was musical because, like all little girls, jigging around doing it. So she said, would you like to learn the piano? And I said, um, I'd rather learn the banjo. And I never got a piano or a banjo. But the funny thing is that she put me into a, uh, a dancing class. And this is one of the reasons why I believe I'm not musical or can't sing. Uh, she put me into this dancing class. I was only three. And again, like the hospital, you weren't allowed to stay. The parents were told to go away. So I'm a little three-year-old, not knowing anyone. And uh, the other little girls were all in tutus and they knew what to do and they're probably older than I am. So by the time my mother came to pick me up, I was a little ball of uh, misery because I couldn't do anything that they were doing. So I think that was a real block and I should probably go to a shrink and get unblocked. I love that you said that you'd rather play the banjo because to me, Mm. uh, uh, the banjo and I guess the bagpipes are the clowns of musical instruments. Yeah, of course they are. Of course they are. And when people say, what animal would you like to be? I nearly always say a chook. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you don't lay an egg, you want that laugh. Oh, we do not want that. Yeah. I've broken a leg, though. Oh, have you? I've broken a leg, yes. Yeah, so don't, never tell me to do that. Before, on stage? or No, 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 no not on no. stage. Oh, that'd oh, be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I keep laughing till the curtain comes down. No, uh, I was cast to do Mother and Son. And um, I'd just done six years working for the government as Australia's own, one and only ambassador for ageing. Just finished that whole six-year trip. I'd been to WA, was going to meet my husband in Tassie um, before I started rehearsal for Mother and Son. So I was really excited, got off the plane and uh, wrangled all my friends who were going to Mona the following day. 
on the ferry. So I said, now we've got to be there early, everybody. So racing to go to Mona, wearing heels, I'm afraid to say, rushing to the ferry and my handbag went around something, hooked on something. I fell straight to the ground, flat on my stomach and didn't have much stomach in those days. So it was like onto the hip. Uh, So I felt really bad as I got up, a little bit faint, and got on the ferry, had something to eat, didn't really want much. And when you go to Mona in Tasmania, there's a hundred steps to go up from the ferry. Now, I went up the hundred steps and felt a little bit bad, and then an hour or so later, wandering around Mona, I said, I think I'll have to sit down. So I sat down and eventually said, I think I've done something to my leg. So I rushed to the hospital and I was carried in by one of our friends, who's a big fella, and uh, obviously it was a break. So I'd broken the top of the femur uh, and I only had a couple of weeks to go before rehearsal started for mother and son. So I told my agent, look, by then I'll be on a stick. It'll be okay. And everyone's saying, oh, no, you won't. You, The nurse in the hospital said, well, you'll have to cancel that. I said, I'm not going to. So uh, I was on crutches during the rehearsal period and I threw away the crutches far too early and uh, was on a stick. And they said, can you keep the stick in? We did, they didn't want me on a walking frame, obviously. So I played mother and son on the stick for the Melbourne run. And then by the time the show had uh, gone elsewhere, to Canberra and to Queensland, I'd almost forgotten the stick. And I had, a, you know, as I was saying earlier, you get little messages, you raise your eyebrow to somebody. And I'd, because we were marked in that show, I couldn't say stick. <laughs> so I'd raise an eyebrow and look down and they'd go, oh, she's lost her stick again. So, uh, yeah, broken leg. To, to me, with mother and son, to me, you are the only actor, I think, who could assume that role after, you know, another comic genius in Ruth Cracknell had played it for so many years on television. Well, that's lovely of you to say Was that. Was it daunting taking on a role like that or did you think mm. about it before accepting no, it? No, look, I didn't know her very well, but uh, Ruth and I had a, had a lunch together and we really responded to each other and our humour, but I knew I would never play it the way... Ruth played it. So you had to make it your own, yeah. Yes, of course. But apart from that, it was on the big stage. And we'll not play, on television, yeah. Not on television. Mm. You know, you can get away with being that... Uh, you can be whimsical and nasty as well, which she was. She was wonderful. She, because Ruth's famous for her waspish wit. But I knew I wouldn't be able to do that. And uh, also, it's a three-hour show or two and a half hours or whatever it was... You can't do the same thing all the time. And, of course, Geoffrey Atherton had written it differently for the stage. The characters were quite different because of that time frame and the closeness, as you said. Yeah, completely different uh, mm. different medium. Different, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say that I was warmer. No, that, that sounds as if I don't think Ruth was. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I played it more impishly, shall we say. Yeah. Mm. 
The ambassador for ageing, appointed by the Rudd government... It was, yes. Very sad that that role has not continued, oh, because it's an essential role. I could show you uh, my uh, itinerary. It's that big. Because it was uh, a, a request made from members of the older communities, they said, we'd love to have an ambassador talking about ageing not being the end of the world and that we're not going to be a drain on the government and so on and what we actually do, how much we contribute to society. So I thought, that's a good thing. And I was about 70 when I got that job and I thought that was a good person to have uh, fronting ageing is a person who was of a certain age. So it worked really well and it was invitation-driven. We didn't say we'd like the ambassador to visit you uh, groups would say we'd like the ambassador to visit us, which was wonderful. Another opportunity to Visit see tourism. Australia, yeah. Uh, but uh, it opened my eyes too to things that people do after retirement. You know, they don't stop working; they contribute. And they're uh, the unpaid work of the volunteer, for instance. And so I was able to spread that, you know, good news stuff wherever I went, and say, this group of people does that and that group. Have, have you tried doing that? Have you tried doing that? And it was marvellous. And that's the first time I did stand-up, now that I'm thinking of it, because I'd get a little bit of a script, but I would not really bother about it because I knew what I wanted to talk about. And uh, it was quite funny because people would contribute and it was hilarious. And any time I actually worked from a script... It wasn't so good. So I knew that I'd just go up there, not really winging it, knowing what the, uh, what the issues were. So, yes, it, uh, it worked. Uh, the Rudd government fell, and then uh, when the Liberal government got in, they renewed my contract for another three years. But then I think under Abbott they decided to uh, ditch it uh, the program was quite reasonably priced. It wasn't like giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to a carpenter to talk about tradies. It wasn't that same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a paid gig, but it was very, very modest payment. And believe me, they got their money's worth. Mm-hmm. With accepting the play next year, Mono, and yep. doing that big tour... I guess retirement has never entered your vocabulary. I'm an actor. They don't retire. They just die. Yeah. No, no. If Even though I haven't worked uh, on stage for a few years, I still regard myself as an actor. And if anybody says former actor, I say actor, not former, thank you, because uh, I believe I'll probably keep going as long as I'm asked. So you're still craving that audience response and... I don't know if it's craving the audience response, but I I crave the interaction between performance and audience. I love that. And it's very confidence-building as well, getting up on a stage and um, getting that sort of reaction from people, laughter or any sort of reaction, even, you know, get off. (laughs) haven't heard that yet. So. I've got a quote above my desk at work, which, which I just love. It's, and uh, I read it one day and I thought, yes, the safest place in the world to be is the stage. On the stage. Wow. Out there. And that's true as an actor, isn't it? You sort of, I mean, five minutes, three minutes, two minutes before mm. when you're a, 
pack of nerves. Mm. I can't do this. Mm. You get out there and you're at home. Yes, it is. It is. And that's the thing about people you work with too, how much family they are when you're working together and the wonderful way you trust each other. And that's a gorgeous thing. And that's probably why I only like small, (laughs) small casts. So you can trust somebody. If you're in a big company, so much can go wrong. So much can be hilarious too. Um, I, I don't mind it when things go wrong and the audience knows but I don't like it when everyone corpses on stage and the audience isn't in on the joke no. I can't laugh then no. it's a communal experience isn't mm. it it's a shared experience yeah. and, but it also requires tremendous discipline to to excel oh it is, it's, discipline is everything you have to live like a nun when you're in a, eight shows a week uh, you can have a beer or a glass of wine on a Sunday night if you don't have a Monday performance. Uh, so it's very good for your health as well. Yeah, yeah. You need to look after your voice, don't you, and your, yeah. and your physical being because you have to deliver, as you well, say, eight times. The worst thing about being on tour, of course, in country towns is you're doing a show when everybody is going to lunch or whatever. There's no restaurant open. So I travel some baked beans and various things like that in my uh, bag so I won't be hungry because you're always hungry. Mm, on tour, yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember uh, going on tour and uh, the bus driver said, that, again, it was uh, with Doug's group in Wallflowering. Now, this is the place we usually go for a meal. Uh, and I thought it didn't look very promising. It was a pub, and it was in the middle of nowhere. It was red dust everywhere. The curtains had blowflies stuck through them as they tried to blow through the, to the windows. <laughs> they were stuck there dead, and there was all this red dust in the lace curtains. And uh, they said, oh, what will you have? What sort of steak will you have? There was no other choice. And it had a sign saying, special rump steak. I thought, oh, I'll have the rum steak then. I'm not a great meat eater. And the steak came and it was... The plate couldn't contain the steak. The steak fell over both sides of the plate. And I cut into the steak and all this blood came out. Now, I like rare steak, but it should be rested. This one, I think they'd just murdered the beast outside (laughs) and cut a slab off and stuck it on the stove for a minute each side. Oh, it was so bad. Yeah. Hi-ho, the glamorous life. Hi-ho, yep. (laughs) Nolene, tell me about the Marrickville Library. Oh, that was most influential. And um, Marrickville Library, an ad came in the local newspaper. We must have got it somehow and said... um, library assistant wanted Marrickville Library and my whole family said that's a job for you I'm 15 and just left school and uh, I thought oh yeah hmm. never has a nose out of book my father would say assist your mother because <laughs> uh, I'd be reading the uh, newspaper that the spuds were wrapped in anyway uh, I went along my mother went with me to uh, the audition and I was auditioned by the mayor and the manager and various other people wearing ties and and suits 
And uh, at the uh, interview, the mayor said, oh, uh, we probably can't have you as an assistant librarian because you should have your leaving certificate. And uh, my heart sank. Back in the 412 bus going home with my mum, she said, see, I told you you should have stayed at school. She was very keen for me to go on. Uh, and I said, no, I want to get out and earn a living anyway. A week later, in the mail came a letter from the mayor saying, uh, Dear Miss Brown, although we cannot offer you the job of assistant librarian, uh, we'd be happy to offer you the job of library assistant. I thought, well, that's close enough for me. So <laughs> I went to work there and I was there for eight and a half years. And it was wonderful because the chief librarian... The, she was the assistant chief librarian when I first worked there, but she became the chief librarian. And Frances Chartres was an artist and she recognised in other people artistic flair. And I was pretty artistic as a kid, so I would be able to do all the... Um, if there was a celebration of some kind, I'd be able to do the work for painting, paintings on the wall. And I remember there was a book where you could learn how to curl paper and obviously a book from the library. So I learned how to curl paper and I had, for Santa, Santa Claus was an articulated character with the paper curls for his beard and he was wearing stubbies and uh, some thongs and a, a Santa Claus hat because it was summer in Australia, of course. Anyway, she was also um, interested in theatre. So she started a little group called the Marrick Players, after the Garrick Players, and uh, I was invited to be the secretary to take notes of the first meeting. So I was doing that, and then the next thing I know, I'm the leading lady <laughs> at this theatre group, because there, I don't think there were any young women. I was the only young, women's, young woman, so you'll do. So I started my career on stage with Marrick Players. And from there, uh, she said to me, after she saw what I was doing, why don't you go to the, oh, the Pocket Playhouse, which was a tiny theatre in Sydney nearby. We had libraries in Marrickville and Sydney and Stanmore and so on. So near our branch in uh, Sydney, she said, why don't you go there? They do some very good work. So I went along. Uh, they, were, uh, they had open auditions. So I went along not knowing what to expect and I was given a sheet of paper to read and I read the sheet of paper and they gave me another sheet of paper to read and the next thing I knew I was the leading lady in the next show that they were doing, which was um, The Sleeping Beauty, Terence Rattigan's. Sleeping Beauty, playing the um, the showgirl. What venues were you performing at? Were, were these performed in the library spaces? Oh no, the Marrick players were uh, in town halls and so on. But the uh, I, I wasn't with them very long, just a couple of shows. Uh, but then the um, the Pocket Playhouse was in Sydney in an old uh, old temperance hall. Um, and it had been gutted. So it was like a terrace house being gutted, little 70-seat uh, uh, theatre with a rake, 
and a proper stage and sort of weird flies at the back. Uh, and it was very cramped. We all we got to know each other very well in the cast, and quite large casts, mm. eighteen people or something. I don't know how we managed to do it, mm. to cram all those people in. Were you involved with the new theatre as well? I was. I was briefly. Uh, the new theatre. I worked uh, on a couple of Frank Hardy things. Um, I first went there to be in a show called Fish and Chips, F-I-S-S-I-O-N. It was during the Cold War, I suppose. And uh, I had to take my clothes off a lot. I remember uh, being young and nubile. I was um, embarrassed to be wearing bikinis and stuff like that. But they, they did... At least the bikinis were made of fur pieces, yes. so they weren't so skimpy. I didn't mind so much. But uh, that was one show I did there. And then uh, I did a show with Frank Hardy, or I went to see Frank Hardy in a play there where he was actually performing himself in his own play. Black Diamonds? Black Diamonds was the play, obviously, about coal mining. Uh, and I was very impressed by the work that they were doing and to do new Australian plays and all that sort of stuff. And I was very impressed that Frank could actually act as well and, and even speak with a pipe in his mouth. I thought that was quite clever. Anyway, I did another thing for them there, um, Fire on the Snow, uh, which was a, a lovely thing. I was just the narrator in that. But uh, I did enjoy working with them at the new. Watching Frank in interviews, uh, he comes across as a very gruff fellow. What, what, oh, what he's he like? gorgeous. Brownie. Hello, Brownie. <laughs> uh, he was a good, good friend. He wasn't gruff at all. We did a thing for ABC television for a very long time uh, called Would You Believe? And uh, Cyril Pearl was in it, Maggie... Um, Jackie Weaver and I were the only girls, and the blokes were more. Len Evans was another... We used to... It was a very nice concept. Uh, Items were brought in or shown on screen, and they were weird items, and we would have to tell a story about the items. Now, the first time I did the show... The others had done it before, but uh, I was brought in uh, after a few shows had gone to air, so I didn't really know what to do. Um, So I was given my little script, and it had nothing to do with what actually was on the screen, and I was think I was supposed to be the the real one. Anyway, uh, I managed to make up something, and it was very well received because we didn't have to stop tape. And in those days, you know, you'd have to start at the beginning and the end was terrible. So from that day on, I knew that I was okay at ad-libbing stuff. And it was such good fun. That was a gorgeous show. And should be brought back. ABC, bring it back. We, ne- we need those quiz shows, those funny quiz shows. Oh, hard quiz is, is brilliant. Of course, yeah. and that's yeah. why he's so good. Yeah. But situation comedy, I think, there have been golden ones throughout the years. Yeah. But it's something we haven't mastered all the way. Not every sitcom. Is, no, I agree with that. There've only been a few, and yeah. I have to say that I'm married to one of the writers of of uh, many of those good oh, sitcoms. Oh, absolutely. Kingswood Country. Kingswood Country. Absolutely gold. Yeah, yeah. 
But it is an entry. Could a show like Kingswood Country survive today? No, no, no because it's got uh, so much wrong with it now. You, <laughs> yeah. oh, you couldn't say that. No, no. Well, I know with the script that I have... Uh, I just received, I said one joke in there, oh, I couldn't say that. I said, I, I'm sorry if I sound a bit woke, but I, you can't get away with that these days. Yeah. So comedy can, can date. Can it can age, date, yeah. yes, as books can too. You know, going back to, I've been rereading our whole library in the, in the last couple of years, and I go, oh, that's, I love that book so much, but no, it's dated. But yes, comedy is one of those things that does date. So do films, films that you loved years ago. And you go, oh, don't know why I laughed at that. My name's Magooly. What's yours? One of our yes. very first sitcoms. Yes. Which, which you were part of. I was in that, I was in that to, make, uh, to make it easy for Magooly because he was always the brunt of the anger of, of uh, Wally the son-in-law. So I was brought in to be nasty to Wally. So that was the reason I was in there. Possum. People still call me Possum. Yeah. Hello, mm. Possum. Hello, Possum, yeah. Before he did that, <laughs> before I Before Edna. Yeah, yeah. before yeah. Edna. Uh, the, my Name's Magooly was um, written for Leo McKern and uh, he didn't want to travel. He didn't like planes and so... Uh, Gordon, I think, wanted to do it. And they said, oh, you're too young. And he said, no, I'll age up. And, and he did, and he spent hours in the makeup chair. Kingswood Country came from the Naked Vicar Show, uh, radio and television. And the characters from Kingswood Country were plucked from a sketch that was a, a running gag. From the Naked thing. Vicar Show. Yeah. Early days of television, and you're all coming out of review, aren't you, and, and, and theatre work. So you're very much learning on the job with this new medium, aren't you? And a lot of them came from vaudeville as well. Singers, you know, Dawn Lake and Bobby Lim had their own shows. So they were very much like vaudeville just going to television. Well, so, that's where you'd find the talent, I guess. You, yes. You needed talent for television. Well, of course, and, yeah. of course, they assumed people would be sitting down at home watching shows that are singing and dancing, and that's what they were as well. And I remember at home singing along with Mitch. <laughs> I don't know if anybody remembers that, but you followed the bouncing ball, oh, yeah. and my father would be there with us singing along and poor old daddy really a cloth ear <laughs> but he loved to sing oh boy he loved to throw his head back and sing the Irish in him join me next time for the companion episode of Stages Conversation with Nolene Brown it will delight and illuminate in its recollections and celebration of one of our greatest entertainers thanks to Barry Creighton for the audio content heard in the episodes. I know you've been enthralled by this conversation, so why not give the podcast a review and a rating? You can do so by scrolling to the bottom of the episode page in the iTunes podcast directory, where you'll be given a choice of five stars and the opportunity to leave a brief comment. We'd really appreciate it, and it helps the podcast reach a wider listening audience and share these great oral histories. 
It's what stagers would really love for Christmas. I'm Peter Eyers. Keep well, stay safe. And Nolene and I will catch you next time on Stagers. <laughs>